transmitting live from the heart of Times Square on 99.5 FM, WBAI New York, Pacifica Radio for the Tri-State Area. This is Trump Watch, a weekly series examining how President Donald J. Trump and his administration are changing the world we live in. I'm your host, Jesse Lent. So let me be very clear. We really have no choice but to build a powerful wall or steel barrier. If we don't get a fair deal from Congress, the government will either shut down on February 15th again, or I will use the powers afforded to me under the laws and the Constitution of the United States to address this emergency. That that was President Trump at a press conference on the front lawn of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue on Friday, announcing that he had ended the longest government shutdown in the history of the U.S. on its 35th day. Footage courtesy the White House Communications Office. Hello and welcome to Trump Watch. So the government is open for business. But whether it stays that way or not, there are critical questions being raised about the way the federal government will treat immigrants, particularly those who are without U.S. citizenship, in cases making their way through the court system as we speak. Joining me now live in the studio to discuss some of the ways that one activist organization is challenging the legality of proposed Trump administration immigration guidelines is Anu Joshi, Senior Director of Immigrant Rights Policy at the New York Immigration Coalition, or NYIC. Hello, Anu. Welcome to Trump Watch. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. Before we get to some of the specific ways that your organization is challenging the Trump administration in court, as this is our first show since the shutdown ended, can you discuss uh, some of the ways uh, that uh, having major sections of the federal government shuttered affected the work you do at NYIC or the clients that you serve? Sure. I mean, you know, above and beyond the 800,000 federal workers that went without pay for 35 days and the almost a million contractors and subcontractors who went without pay who won't be getting back pay, many of whom come from immigrant communities are immigrants themselves, the janitors, the cooks, the cleaners. Um, This impacted immigrants uh, in many ways. I think the most glaring is the fact that immigration courts were severely impacted. Uh, So if you uh, were an immigrant and had been waiting maybe years for your day in court and it happened to fall during those 35 days, not only was your your case canceled, you were moved to the end of the line. So you might be waiting two, three, four more years more years than you've already waited to have that day in court to make your case. Um, And, you know, we've seen immigrants since this president took office be used as political pawns. Um, He doubled down in the run-up to the November election on his racist anti-immigrant demagoguery and agenda. Um, And it hasn't worked, but unfortunately, um, you know, he's really put the whole the whole country, held the whole country hostage uh, for his crazy demands. At the heart of President Trump's battle with the Democrats that led to the shutdown is, as probably every American knows by now, Donald Trump's campaign promised that he would build a wall on the southern border. 
What does the wall signify to you, and how important is it whether it gets built or not? Well, you know, I should first point out that the second part of his campaign promise was that Mexico would pay for it. That's an important point. Yes. Um, But I think, you know, it's important to understand the historical context. So in the last 15 years, we have spent over $200 billion on border security in this country. Um, We currently spend more on immigration enforcement than every other federal law enforcement agency combined. So that's Secret Service, that's FBI, that's DEA. Combined, we spend more on immigration enforcement. So, you know, it's important to remember that, that we as a country, rightfully or not, made a commitment and, and have been funding that commitment for decades. So that's one. Um, two, I think, you know, the wall has become a symbol to many on the far right and the anti-immigrant um, extremist parts of this president's base. But it does have far-reaching implications, both Morally, um, where we're spending our money, if we're spending money on a wall, we're not investing in infrastructure, we're not investing in healthcare, we're not investing in in kids, we're not investing in any of those things. And two, what it says to our immigrant communities, both on our side of the wall and on the southern side of the wall. Um, So I think, you know, the wall is a symbol, but it it also has severe impacts. And I think the third thing is, is that In order to build this wall, you have to steal land from private landowners. You have to, the president is asking to go around environmental protections. Um, There is a butterfly reserve that crosses the border in Texas that would be destroyed if the president got his way. Um, Land that belongs to business owners would be seized. Uh, The lawsuits that would happen would drag out, but in the end, everyday Americans would lose out. So it's not just a symbol. The new Republican line appears to be that the wall is already being built in one form or another with fencing, uh, the the steel structures that President Trump was alluding into, uh, to in the quote we played at the top of the show, uh, and that Democrats are splitting hairs with House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy on Meet the Press and White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney on Face the Nation, both making this claim on Sunday. Is there any form of border enforcement or, uh, shall we say, any kind of structure that your organization, the New York Immigration Coalition, favors on the border or supports? You know, we would support um, increased funding going to uh, GSA rather than DHS to improve ports of entry. And GSA, just for people who don't know what that is. Is the Government Services Administration. Um, Our ports are crumbling and need to be modernized. That's real infrastructure investment. Uh, We need more customs officers to ensure that people aren't waiting hours and hours when they're trying to cross the border. We need to make sure that, you know, those, uh, that they're is adequate processing capacity for asylum seekers. Um, Right now, Border Patrol is turning people away, claiming that they don't have capacity, that they don't have the resources to process them. You know, that is something that we would 100% support. Um, And the reality is, is that, you know, Donald Trump likes to talk a lot about drugs coming across the border. 80 to 90% of the illegal narcotics that come into this country on the southern border come through our ports of entry. 
and a wall would do nothing to stop those. And to continue uh, with this part of the topic, as far as the the current situation at the border, uh, back in November, Stephen Choi, the executive director of the NYIC, called the Customs and Border Protection Agents' decision that week to fire tear gas at a caravan of Central American migrants, quote, absolutely horrifying, adding, quote, people are not set pieces in this administration's theater of cruelty. They're human beings entitled to dignity and the full protection of the law. Has the situation at the border improved since then? Well, you know, we haven't seen those same images of tear gas, uh, but the reality is, is no, for these um, migrants that are seeking, looking to the United States for protection, who are literally fleeing for their lives, leaving everything behind, you know, they are entitled to protections under current international and domestic law. We're not talking about a free for all here. We have a set of laws in place that the United States must abide by. And what the Border Patrol is doing right now is casting those laws aside. And it should really make every American upset. Um, You know, we have a a moral and legal obligation to to at least allow these individuals to have their date in court, to make their case. And right now that is completely being undermined. For many of our listeners, uh, your organization, the NYIC, may be best known for your efforts through a joint lawsuit filed in conjunction with the ACLU and four other immigrant rights groups to stop a proposed question on the U.S. Census. Uh, The question was uh, initiated by Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross. It asked respondents whether they're U.S. citizens. The Supreme Court is scheduled to hold a hearing on this issue on February 19th. Can you talk a bit about the case before the Supreme Court and why you find uh, or why the NYIC finds the census question problematic? I mean, sure. So, um, you know, I think the first thing that we have to to acknowledge is how incredibly important the census is, um, especially for a state like New York. The census determines our political representation, uh, how many members of Congress we get. And right now there's estimates that we could lose one as many as three seats after the 2020 census. So that's huge in terms of political power that the, that New Yorkers have. Um, New- These are congressional seats you're talking about. Yep, congressional seats. But it's also how we decide how our state and local districts are drawn. Um, in 2015, New York received over $53 trillion from the federal government based off census data. And so if we have an undercount in New York, if all of our immigrant communities, if our black communities, if our rural communities are not counted fully, then New Yorkers writ large will lose. We will lose money. Um, it's also how we figure out how we, um, how infrastructure projects are created, how businesses decide where, where to open businesses, how hospitals decide where they need to open hospitals and schools need to open schools. Um, And so this administration's decision to add a citizenship question um, was a deliberate attempt um, to ensure that immigrants are not counted. And uh, the lawsuit that we filed with the ACLU um, and the state's attorney general, along with many other um, uh, plaintiffs, 
you know, makes that case. They added the citizenship question without any testing um, when, you know, you're supposed to do incredible amounts of testing. We only do a census once every 10 years against the advice of their very own census experts about adding the citizenship question. Um, And so, you know, we went to court to say, listen, um, what this administration did isn't right. It isn't fair. And the judge agreed with us. Talk a little bit more about that. What were the findings of the experts? Basically, that if a citizenship question was added, especially in the environment that we're living in right now under this anti-immigrant administration, this extremely hostile administration, that the addition of a citizenship question would mean that immigrant communities and Latino communities, documented or not, legal or not, citizens or not, would be less likely to fill out the census. Just... Purely. They would be less likely, meaning that we would have an undercount. We would have less people counted in New York than there actually are. Um, And that means that we get less funding. We get less political representation. You know, we can't. uh, The census is incredibly important. It's the largest uh, non-war activity that the federal government takes on uh, once every 10 years. And so this decision... um, you know, we're really happy the judge ordered, enjoined the administration from adding the citizenship question. They have appealed directly to the Supreme Court. Um, it's a slightly different case than the one you were mentioning. Uh, the Supreme Court has not yet indicated if and when they will take up that appeal. Uh, but we're on a time crunch, you know, in order to get these, uh, all of these forms printed and mailed out. Uh, we need to know by June. And so uh, that's the timeline that we're looking at. Okay, so it might not be the one uh, that's going to be heard by the Supreme Court, but your lawsuit, State of New York et al. versus Department of Commerce, uh, did lead, again, correct me if I'm wrong, to Secretary Wilbur Ross amending his original uh, statements to admit that he had discussed the census question with former White House chief strategist Steve Bannon, as reported in an NYIC press release citing the Department of Justice. Obviously, uh, (laughs) Steve Bannon is a controversial figure, but why is that detail significant? Yeah, it's significant because uh, really, I think what the Commerce Secretary did there was admitting that he lied. Uh, So that's pretty important. Um, When he uh, was, one, we filed our lawsuit, they were forced to turn over documents and, and and emails and, you know, how they came to this decision, uh, they had initially said that the Department of Justice had asked the Department of Commerce to consider asking this question in order to better enforce the Voting Rights Act, Uh, which is pretty laughable if you think about the fact that the Attorney General at the time was Jeff Sessions, who uh, is not exactly, you know, a champion of voting rights. Uh, But that was uh, what, you know, Wilbur Ross said was that Jeff Sessions asked him to add this question to ensure that they could protect the rights of all citizens to vote. Um, Well, turns out that actually uh, emails came to light from discovery that Secretary Ross asked the Department of Justice to ask the Commerce Department to add the citizenship question. Uh, And so that this really originated from some of the far, you know, most far right extremist thinkers in the anti-immigrant movement who went to Secretary Ross and said, hey, this is what we want to do. Steve Bannon, one of them, Chris Kerkorian, another one, uh, Chris Kobach, excuse me, another one used to be uh, Secretary's Kansas Secretary of State. Um, And so, you know, 
it turned out that he lied. I assume Stephen Miller would also be in that group. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm speaking with Anu Joshi, Senior Director of Immigrant Rights Policy at the New York Immigration Coalition. You're listening to Trump Watch. My name is Jesse Lent. I want to turn back to the situation at the border. What are you doing at the border right now as far as efforts to improve the situation for anyone seeking asylum? Yeah, it's a great question. So we um, are part of a, a national network. And so we um, are supporting the efforts of our um, colleague organizations that are based at the border um, who, I mean, have just been heroic in their efforts to provide services, legal services, medical services um, to the migrant caravans that have been stuck in Mexico because of the, you know, this administration's inability to follow our laws. Um, and so that has, and you know, it's it's not just organizations, it's, it's countless volunteers giving their time and expertise, going to the border, big law firms, small law firms, individual attorneys um, at their own expense, going, you know, to Tijuana, going to San Diego um, to offer uh, their support um, to these families who are just trying, you know, to, to, to save their families' lives, quite literally. Um, and so, you know, that's that's a big part of what's happening. I mean, it's been a heroic effort. I, I just want to really underscore that uh, by many of our, our colleagues. Um, you know, Churla, based in L.A., um, has, been, has been a huge proponent of that effort. Um, so uh, Alianza Americas, which is a national organization, is coordinating a lot of this. Um, you know, so we are supporting those efforts. But I think... You know, we really have to to focus on what Congress can do right now to really alleviate some of the some of the pain and suffering. One area of enforcement that the NYIC has successfully fought on the local level here in New York is that of local law enforcement detaining immigrants on behalf of Immigrations and Customs Enforcement or ICE. How wide is this practice being used nationally, and why does your organization believe it needs to be stopped? Yeah, so this is a big problem nationally, is local uh, local law enforcement collaborating, cooperating with immigration enforcement, um, and in any number of different ways. And, you know, we see this in New York State, too. I mean, um, you know, every day, every week, you hear stories about someone who's pulled over in upstate New York. Um, maybe it's the driver. Maybe it's a passenger. Doesn't have identification. Doesn't have a license. And uh, the police officer will call Border Patrol. And all of a sudden, that person's in detention, um, potentially there for months, potentially deported. You know, um, and that line of deportation starts you know, on our roads with our local law enforcement. Um, and so just as, a, as an aside, you know, one of the big things that NYC is focusing on this year in the state is driver's licenses um, and expanding access to driver's licenses for all New Yorkers who can pass the test, who can pay their fee, um, because we know that that's, you know, one of the, the number one ways that immigrants outside of New York really get caught up in this arrest, detention, deportation dragnet. Um, but, uh, the detainers issue, um, you know, it's a, we just had a really good, um, court decision here in New York state, actually, 
because uh, on Long Island in Suffolk County, uh, they were honoring ICE detainer requests, meaning that, you know, if someone that they arrested, uh, they were ready to release that person, maybe, you know, for whatever reason, they didn't decide not to charge them, they were releasing them on their own recognizance, whatever, they would hold them for an additional 48 hours in order to give ICE time to come and uh, detain that person. Um, and, you know, the court found that that was unconstitutional. You can't detain someone if you don't charge them. Um, if you don't give them the opportunity to make their case for bail or whatever in front of a, a judge. And so now, you know, that's no longer legal uh, in New York State. Um, we hope that they won't appeal that decision. Uh, but that's the law of the land right now. Do you know how far back that posse had gone? Uh, for, I mean, years, years. Um, so this is it's, it's really great. And this court decision just came out, you know, a few months ago. Um, and so we're really we're really thrilled about that. And we want to make sure that it's implemented in the way that it's supposed to be. Um, and, you know, we do know that immigration enforcement, ICE specifically, has really targeted New York City. And we've seen an increase in uptick in the number of arrests and detentions here of New Yorkers, New York City residents, uh, because they want to make an example of us, you know. Um, I, you know, I wish that I could say that we could put a bubble up and protect all of our people, but ICE is allowed to go wherever ICE wants to go. Um, you know, another another issue that uh, we're working on is keeping ICE out of our courthouses. You might have seen that ICE is, you know, um, orchestrating really brutal arrests um, at and around our state courthouses. Uh, so victims, witnesses, um, people trying to, you know, wage their own defense, um, are being, you know, exploited by ICE. They're being, they're terrified to go to court. Uh, they even showed up at human trafficking court, if you can imagine. Um, so, you know, we have a bill in the legislature that we're pushing with many of our coalition partners, um, protect our courts act. Um, and so, you know, we got to do what we can to make sure we protect our residents. As we always find it important to remind our listeners in any immigration segment we do like this on Trump Watch, this problem did not begin with Donald Trump. And obviously, President Obama was nicknamed the deporter in chief. Do you believe the country is more receptive to immigration reform now than it was in the Barack Obama era? I don't I don't know. That's a tough question. Um, You know, I. The results of the November election were encouraging, um, mainly because I think that Trump and the Republic, many in the Republican Party, not everyone, many in the Republican Party leaned into this anti-immigrant message in the last days, especially in the last days of the campaign. And the American public resoundingly rejected that, you know, and, and I think that's incredibly encouraging. Um, and we see states like New Jersey that are taking incredible strides forward in protecting immigrant communities that we did not see before. So I do think, you know, a lot of states and localities are stepping up. Um, but, you know, right now we're just existing in such a state of crisis um, that I think it's hard to imagine um, where we could be. Um, that being said, you know, we still envision a day where we can put the 11 million you know, our 
our family members, our friends, our neighbors, workers, students on a road to citizenship. You know, treat them with dignity, most of whom have been here for a decade or longer, who have raised their children here, who are married to U.S. citizens, who contribute to our, you know, our our lives. Um, we, we always have that, you know, that is what we're fighting for, for the dignity of, of everyone um, in this country. But whether or not we can get there in this year, I don't know. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. I've been speaking with Anu Joshi, Senior Director of Immigrant Rights Policy at the New York Immigration Coalition. You're listening to Trump Watch. My name is Jesse Lent. And that's it for this week's show. Reggie Johnson engineered this program live. You can hear all 103 episodes of Trump Watch with Jesse Lent at soundcloud.com slash trumpwatchwbai or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter and join us again next Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. when we'll break down a different aspect of the Donald Trump administration. Until then, I'm your host, Jesse Lent. Talk to you next time. I won't be opening it up for a while